Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad that you decided to join us today. We're in the middle of a series in the book of Song of Solomon, which is one of the most interesting books of the Bible, and we think that you will find it interesting too. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. Today, turn to John chapter 4. We're going to be there in a minute. John chapter 4. And, um, you know, King Solomon is said to have been the richest person who ever walked the planet. And we, we like to talk about King Solomon and all of his wealth sometimes. King Solomon, at the height of his success, was bringing in, the Bible tells us, 666 talents of gold every year. And... That amounts to about a billion dollars a year in gold alone, not counting the silver that he had and the jewels and the gems and the properties and so forth. So King Solomon is someone who literally owned the world. He sat on top of the world. He had hit the the one thing that all of us would love to hit, right? The pinnacle of power, fame, wealth. He had it all. And you know what Solomon said about it after he got all of it? He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, and he said, it's meaningless. In fact, the book of Ecclesiastes is pretty depressing because over and over and over again, Solomon says how meaningless it all is. He says, everything is meaningless. And then he says, wisdom is meaningless. He pursued wisdom and understanding, he says, and it's empty. He pursued pleasure. He, he denied his body no good thing. Anything he wanted, he just did. Can you imagine being able to do that? Just no, didn't matter how much it cost. He just did it. And he said, meaningless. Work, he said, is meaningless. Promotions are meaningless. Riches, he said, are meaningless. Like literally on and on he goes, it's sort of depressing, on and on he goes with one declaration after another. He says he pursued education as far as he could take it, empty. He had a thousand women, the most beautiful women in the world. He was surrounded by them. He said, empty. He built magnificent buildings, empty. He literally sat on the top of the world, and he surveys everything, and it's like he says, this is it. This is all there is. Now, I know some of us wouldn't mind spending a day in Solomon's shoes. You think that, I I think I could enjoy a day like that, but think about it this way. It's kind of like our lives are like a bucket, right? If I, have, if I have this much of nothing, well, that's not a lot of nothing, but it's still nothing. If I have this much, I have a little bit more nothing. If I have this much, I have a, a little bit more nothing. Or I maybe could have this, I could have a lot of nothing right there. Whether I have this much or this much, I still have Nothing. 
So if you think about it, more nothing, is that any more satisfying? Not at all. And that's what Solomon's saying. He had the biggest bucket that you could have of nothing. And he said, it is meaningless, nothing. You know, this summer, we've been going through the Song of Songs and slugging our way through this little book in the middle of our Bibles, and we've discovered that it's a weird book, and it's made us uncomfortable. It's made us awkward at times because it's an ancient love song, and it uses different language than we're used to using, and it uses images that are not really our culture, and so it's definitely had its awkward moments, but we've learned a few things from it, haven't we? A few things about relationships, but more than that, We've also learned that in the Song of Songs, we hear the heartbeat of God, and we've discovered that it's beating for us, that God loves us like that. He loves us with that kind of intensity, that God wants you. He wants the real you, not, not the pretend you, not the person that you pretend to be, but you, the real you. Jesus loves that. He loves you. And the song we learned is all about a, a peasant girl, and uh, she has caught the eye of a king, and the king's love, and her love for him, and his love for her more than anything, transforms her from being this shy, insecure girl into a queen of his dreams. And we've discovered that this is our story too, that you and I are the commoner who have caught the eye of the king of all kings. And Jesus is smitten by us. And even though we come to him with all of our baggage and all of our stuff, he loves us. And in time, we become transformed by that love. He changes us. His love changes us. And his love is unlike any other kind of love. And when we say God loves you, it's not the romantic, sappy kind of love that we often think of in our culture that really cheapens it. But his love is powerful. It changes a person from the inside out. You know, Jesus called himself the vine. And he said that you and I are the branches, didn't he? And as long as we stay connected to him in relationship... Well, then his life flows into us, and we experience satisfaction and contentment. He fills us. He meets our needs. We're, we're, we're like the Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If Jesus is my vine and I'm connected to him, I, I shall not want. We're, we're like the Apostle Paul. If I'm connected to him, Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance. I'm satisfied no matter what happens. Why? Because I'm connected to the vine. But when I'm disconnected from the vine, I'm going to dry up, shrivel, and die. And no matter what I try, nothing is going to satisfy me. Nothing. Because I was meant to be connected to the vine. And so out here, disconnected, we fill up our buckets with everything we can, thinking this is going to satisfy, and it never does. Even Solomon himself had absolutely everything, everything, and he says it's meaningless, right? And in a nutshell, 
That's the message of the Song of Songs. That staying connected with Jesus, who loves us and adores us, we find meaning, life, purpose. And being disconnected from him, we dry up. And so today what we want to do is I want to finish our study in the Song of Songs by doing something a little different. I want to draw a comparison between the Song of Songs and this woman that Jesus met by a well on a hot, dusty day. Because I think that there are very real connections between the Song of Songs and the story of what we call the woman at the well. So let's read it. John chapter 4. I'm going to start with verse 4. And it says this. John, now Jesus had to go through Samaria. Everybody say had to go. He had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Kind of stop for a second. Do you believe that it's possible that this could be your daily experience, that you could literally never thirst again? I mean, I'm not talking about physical thirst. Obviously, you have a physical thirst. But I mean spiritually. Do you believe it's possible that you could live at such a level that you would always be satisfied, always be content, that there would never be a moment that you feel like you're lacking? Because that's what Jesus is promising. And i got to believe that Jesus is promising this because it's possible. He's, he's not just setting you and me up for more disappointment. He's offering you and me something that you can literally live life in such a way that you are satisfied all the time, regardless of what happens. Whoever drinks the water I give them, he says, will never thirst. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, like you and me, right? Give me this water so I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming to this well. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, 
Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I, you know, I know that the Messiah called Christ, he's coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, everybody say leaving her water jar, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and they made their way toward him. And they came and the whole town comes out and Jesus stays with them for two more days and tons of people become believers of Jesus and they find the living water and they are satisfied. The end of the story. It's beautiful, right? First thing I want to do Let's just talk about the comparison between this woman at the well and the woman from the Song of Songs, because there are some comparisons between them. So just a few. Number one, we don't know either woman's name. We just know them by their location. So the woman in the Song of Songs is called the Shulamite. She's from the town of Shunem. We don't know her name. And here, the woman at the well is a Samaritan woman at the well. So we just know these two women by their location. I think that's kind of interesting, which it's, it's good for you and me, because it means that you and I could be this woman. It's not necessarily, I mean, they were specific women, yes, but I think by not mentioning their names, it opens the door for you and me to put ourselves in the story. This could be us. Second thing is the Shunammite meets the king in a garden in the Song of Songs, and here the woman at the well meets Jesus at a well. So both are outdoor kind of pastoral uh, settings, a garden and a well, kind of neat. The third connection is the Shunammite in the Song of Songs is insecure. Remember, she says, don't look at me, I'm dark, and she's hiding in the clefts of the rock like a dove, and she's just insecure about where her status in life. And the same is true with this woman at the well. She's insecure. She's a woman that's had five husbands. She's filled with shame. She's coming to the well at noon, the Bible tells us. That's not when women went to the well. They went early in the morning while it was still cool. So she's coming in the middle of the day to avoid people because she's been stared at. She's been gossiped about, talked about. This woman is insecure. And so there she is. So these two women, both are similar that way. And then lastly, the Shunammite is transformed by the love of the king. Talked about that in the Song of Songs. And this Samaritan woman is also transformed, is she not? By the love of the king. And the point is that both of these women could be any one of us because we thirst. We all thirst. Do we not? We all want something. The Samaritan woman brings her water bucket to the well to fill up what she thinks is her daily water supply, and she gets much more because she runs into Jesus. 
We all want something. What do you want? Have you noticed that? That seems to be a typical human issue, isn't it? Maybe I want lunch. Could be that. Or it could be that I want something a lot more important. I want love. I want somebody to actually like me. I want somebody to actually care about me. I, I, want, I want meaning. I, w- I want my life to count for something. I don't want to just waste it. I want, I want, I want. Do we not want? And all of us bring those wants, do we not, to Jesus. And what Jesus is saying here is, I can satisfy you so that you never want again. That's the promise that he's making. This is what happened when I was 15 years old. I ran into Jesus. Somebody told me, hey, read the Bible for yourself. Because I grew up in a Christian home. They're like, hey, you got to read the Bible for yourself. Don't just take it from your parents, right? Great. So I read the Bible. And here I am just reading the Bible because that's what I was told to do. And I ran into Jesus as I read the Bible. Changed my life. Where did you run into Jesus? Maybe you ran into him on a bar stool. Maybe you ran into him in a church service. Maybe you ran into him in your bedroom listening to music, lying on your bed, and boom, you encountered, you ran into him. You weren't expecting him there, but there he was. You ran into him. Where did you run into Jesus? This woman ran into Jesus at a well, and it changed everything for her. Verse 4 tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. We, we emphasized that when we read it. This is not because there was no other way that he had to go through it. There, was, there were plenty of ways to go around Samaria. The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. So Jews went around Samaria all the time. No, Jesus had to go through Samaria because of what he says in verse 34. In verse 34, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. See, Jesus always did exactly what the Father told him to do. Jesus lived his life in constant connection. If he's the vine and we're the branches, then I think you could argue that the Father was the vine and Jesus was the branch as he ministered on earth. Jesus lived his life in constant response to the Father. And so that day, the Father says, you know, there's a precious woman, and she's broken, and she's rejected, and she's filled with shame, and she's thirsty, and she needs more than answers. She needs the answer. And so you know what happened? God the Father sent God the Son to sit by that well and bring her home. And that's why Jesus said, that's why it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Because God was doing something there. And the same thing happened the day you ran into Jesus. The day that you ran into Jesus, God the Father said, you know, she, he, he needs me. And you might not have known it at the time, but when you ran into Jesus... It's because the Father said, I need you to go there. And Jesus gladly did. And your life and my life forever changed. Verse 5 tells us that the well is located in a place called Sychar. Sychar was an updated name of a very old city. In the Old Testament, back in the book of Genesis, the city Sychar was called Shechem. So Shechem and Sychar are the same city. 
The name Shechem and Sychar both mean shoulder because the city is located between these two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim are significant mountains in the history of Israel because those are the, that's the site of where God ratified the Sinai Covenant with Moses and the people of Israel. And what Moses did was he put half of, this country, half of the people of Israel on one mountain, on Mount Ebal. The other half of the nation of Israel put on Mount Gerizim. Now, when you think mountain, don't think Rockies because that will ruin it for you. You have to think more like large hills. Okay, so, so you, could, you can put a bunch of people on it, right? So you got half over here and half over here. And half of the nation of Israel recited the blessings of God that would come as long as they stayed in connection with God. Here's all the blessings. The life of God is going to flow, flow. You will be satisfied in the land of milk and honey. The other half of the nation of Israel on the other mountain recited all of the curses that would come as a direct result if Israel disconnected from God if they disobeyed and walked away from God. Now you're going to lose the flow of life and your nation is going to begin to fall apart, right? So this is what's happening. You get it? And here's this woman who has been separated from the life of God. Five husbands living with a sixth man, lost, broken, ashamed, empty, empty. And it's in this very sight that she meets the vine again. It's beautiful. Do you see that? Jesus, can I say it enough? Jesus is the vine. You are the branch. Stay connected to him and his life will flow. Disconnect from him and you will begin to die you will become thirsty. Life doesn't make sense disconnected from the vine. Connected to the vine, life makes perfect sense. Disconnected, it gets more and more confusing, twisted, chaotic, and lost. And at first, this woman meets Jesus at this well, and she doesn't know what to make of Jesus. He's a man talking to her. And back then, men just, you just that just didn't happen. Men don't just walk up to women they don't know and start talking to them. And especially not Jewish men talking to Samaritan women. Like that just did not happen. And so this woman at first, she's not quite sure what to make of Jesus. And you notice she's cagey, a little bit dodgy. She's, she's stiff-arming Jesus. She's like, she's like, okay, she's argumentative. Now, how are you going to get living water? You don't even have a bucket. See? <laughs> And she's, and she's drawing Jesus into religious arguments. She's like, you know, you Jews say you got to worship here, but we say we worship over there. She, he's trying to get Jesus. She's, she's throwing up smoke screens. And you notice, this is, do you notice Jesus? Faithful and kind and loving, not once arguing, arguing back. Not, not once, you know, criticizing her for her mistrust. He's faithful, but she's arguing. Is this not you? Like, I, I ran into this. This happens all the time. I literally talked to a man just on Tuesday, this last week, and this man has been in therapy his whole life. 
And he was telling me that he has racked up tens of thousands of dollars in credit card debt because he's been trying experimental injections to handle his depression. And, and he's going on and on and on about all this stuff. And I tell him, I say, you know, when I, you know, at the right moment, I said, do you, do you know how much Jesus loves you? That's all I tell you, Jesus loves you. And his reaction was to argue about, oh yeah, well, the time that Jesus took a whip and beat up all the guys in the temple, like, oh, that Jesus loves me? I'm like, see what I mean? Same thing. We argue. We, we like to keep Jesus at arm's length. And Jesus refuses to let that happen. He insists on loving you and me. We've been burned so frequently, like this woman, been burned so frequently, we're not sure we can totally trust them. And yet Jesus is faithful. He sticks with it. He doesn't manipulate or control. And here's this woman with her five husbands, her current live-in boyfriend, and her empty water jar at the hottest time of the day, arguing with Jesus. And Jesus is kind and he's empathetic with her. Do you know the difference between empathy and sympathy? You know, sympathy is when I feel for your pain. Empathy is when I've actually encountered the same pain and I can identify with you in that pain. And you know that Jesus could fully identify with her? He could have empathy. Because at the well that day was not just one jilted lover, there were two jilted lovers. Jesus is the greatest jilted lover of all time, is he not? He created you and me. He's loved you, the Bible says, since before the creation of time. We can't even wrap our minds around that. He created a perfect world for us to live in and enjoy him in. And you and I cut ourselves off from that, did we not? We broke out on our own way. In fact, here's what Isaiah 53, 6 says. All we like sheep, says, have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. All of us have spurned the love of God and given him the cold shoulder, which makes Jesus the greatest jilted lover in history. The reason why Jesus came to earth in the first place was to restore that broken relationship with us because he wasn't content to keep it broken. In fact, a number of months after speaking with this woman at the well, Jesus would demonstrate his love for her and for you and me as he himself would pin, be pinned to a cross, stretched out wide. He himself would take on the, the shame of all of the sins of humanity, he would experience rejection. He was rejected by men. He would experience being forsaken by God. And he would even say the words as he hung from the cross, I'm thirsty. I thirst. See? So he literally takes our place, does he not? And Isaiah 53, 6 Says It goes on to say, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We have left our God's paths to follow our own. And then it finishes, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. So I'm the one that strayed, and he's the one that paid. Wow. 
We rejected him. He did not reject us. We cut ourselves off from his love, but he never stopped loving us. Why? Well, the Song of Songs tells us that love is as strong as death. It's that strong. True love never fails. True love is not sentimental. It's not that wilted garbage that we see in books and movies. It's, we're talking God's true love, right? It has the power to fill my thirsty soul, satisfy me, so that I never thirst again. Jesus told this woman in verse 14, whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus promises to, re to restore to us all of the dignity that we lost by pursuing these other things and to restore us completely and to cause us to overflow. And that's what we see happening in verse 28. When she left her water jar, verse 28 it says, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town. You think, well, that's odd, isn't it? She carried the water jar to the well because she needed water. And then she left it at the well and ran back into town. What's going on? Some, some scholars believe that she left it for Jesus because he had asked her for a drink. So she left him the bucket so he could get water. Maybe. I think the reason why she left it was because she was so filled with excitement. She was so caught up in that moment. She just forgot about the water jar altogether. She had to tell somebody about this life that she had encountered, this experience, this man that she had run into at the well, you see. He told her, he told her everything. He gave her everything he had. So she came to the well thirsty, ashamed, rejected, and she left overflowing. So her experience was exactly what Jesus promised, living, overflowing water. That's what she had. Verse 29, she tells everybody back in town, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, that's not really true if you think about it. All Jesus did was tell her you had five husbands and you're living with a sixth guy. So he didn't tell her everything she ever did, and yet I think he did. Because you see, her five husbands had become her identity. She saw herself in the mirror as this woman that had five husbands. And you know, we often uh, get this woman wrong because we interpret her through a Western lens where women have the same rights as men. In the first century, women didn't. Women were not, they did not have the right to divorce their husbands. Only the husband could divorce his wife. And so when we read that she had five husbands, it means that she was kicked out of five homes. This is a woman that had been rejected over and over and over again. And she began to wear this label. This was her identity. This is who she was. She looked in the mirror. I see unwanted. I see unloved. I see someone to be ashamed of. And Jesus didn't treat her that way at all. All of that's been changed now. You see, he changed her. He loved her like nobody else could. He, he hung with her. When, even when she stiff-armed him and she tried to argue with him, he stayed with her. He didn't argue back. He loved her instead, did he not? 
And she received that, and her life was forever, ever changed. You see, loved people love other people. And until the day that I find it fully in Jesus, I'm going to search for it in every other relationship and use those relationships to find love that I will only find in Jesus. And so this woman found it, and it's all she wanted to share. And that's why she left her bucket behind. She didn't need it anymore. See? She didn't need it anymore. So that's the challenge for you and me this morning. You can come, sweetheart. That's the challenge for you and me this morning. Leave the bucket behind. You don't need it anymore. Listen, this bucket represents... It represents everything that you try to fill your life with to satisfy that leaves you empty. And you might not have had five husbands, but I bet you've tried five million other things to satisfy. I know that because I have, right? You'll discover like Solomon uh, your, your job is not going to fill this for you. And um, your friends aren't going to fill that for you. And th- those are blessings. Don't get me wrong. Right? And your good health, that's not going to fill it for you. Again, it's a blessing, but it's not going to fill it. Like, and, and, and the problem you see, I think, with most of us is we fill our bucket These are things that are familiar to us and comfortable for us, but they don't satisfy. And you know how I know they don't satisfy? They don't, I know they don't satisfy because I get thirsty again. That's how you know that you've been drinking from the wrong well. The only way to never thirst again is to live in connection with Christ. He's the vine, we're the branches. And I'm fully convinced that it's possible for you and me to know a level of satisfaction that we've never experienced before in connection with Christ. And every time that I want something else, which is a lot, it's just another reminder to me you know what? I need to get connected. I'm, I'm starting to want again. But I know, that, I know what I ultimately want is the experience of the psalmist. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What I ultimately want is the experience of the Apostle Paul. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance. What, what I ultimately want is what Jesus promised this woman at the well that you'll never thirst again. What I ultimately want is what the woman in the Song of Songs experienced. She found the love that filled her up and she became bold and she leaned on the arm of her lover, satisfied, home. And this is what Jesus promises to you and me. So I wanna close us with a prayer before we come into communion and Pastor Robin's gonna lead us And the prayer is just simply this little thing that I I wrote last night. I was praying. This is my prayer for us today, and I just wanted to share it with you. She says, Jesus, I need to run into you in church service this morning. 
I need to run into you, please. I haven't had five husbands, but I've had five jobs. Been to five different churches. I keep buying new gadgets. I keep hooking up with the wrong friends. I keep, and you fill in the blank. What are you doing? And here's what I found, Jesus. None of it is working. (laughs) I need you. I keep getting thirsty again. So today, Jesus, I'm leaving that bucket, and I'm coming to you. Amen. Well, that about wraps it up for today. We hope that today's message was a blessing to you. If you're looking for more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org.